Okay, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. Woodland Hills on CNN. Uh, this, some of you may recall about six months ago, we had a bunch of cameras and, and TV people in this auditorium. Uh, they were doing a documentary that's not going to be aired this week. Uh, it's called God's Warriors. Uh, Christian Amapur is the person who's uh, kind of the, doing the documentary. And uh, on Tuesday, they're doing God's Jewish Warriors. On Wednesday, they're doing God's Islamic Warriors. And on August 23rd, Thursday, they're doing God's uh, uh, Christian Warriors. And Woodland Hills Church is a part of that. Now, it says on this slide that we're featured there. And I, I doubt that's the case. Uh, but we might have 20 seconds or a minute. or I, I, I haven't seen the edited version, so I have no idea how much or how little will be on there. But you, wanna, you might want to check it out. It seems like it's going to be an interesting series, whatever role we play. Uh, and then just read the bulletin for more information uh, about what's going on around here. There's a lot. And please, if this is your spiritual body, pray over the various needs and the various ministries that you find there in the bulletin. That should do it. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 9. Uh, this is what we do here. We just go through the Bible. Uh, nothing too fancy. And we're now up to this passage that deals with the feeding of the 5,000. Actually, the feeding of the 10,000, as you'll see here in a moment. And I want to entitle this message, Caring, Sharing, and Multiplication. And I want to draw your attention to the wonderful uh, work of Jim LePage, who found that incredible background for this message. Can you imagine? A, a, you know, a, a symbol more... Uh, for the pod people, you can't see this, uh, but he's got a calculator with fish on it. I, I never saw such a thing. So it's a perfect symbolic expression of the message this morning. Good job, Jim LePage. Yes. It takes a lot of work to pull these things off. Okay. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. I'm reading from the TNIV version. I'll make a couple comments as I go through, and then I'll draw, draw out three major points. It says, when the, when the apostles returned... They reported to Jesus what they had done. Now, you recall from last week, if you were here, that Jesus had just sent them out uh, to go from village to village to proclaim the kingdom of God and to demonstrate the kingdom of God by healing people and by delivering them from demonic powers. Uh, they probably were gone for several months to cover all those villages, and now they come back. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, a little fishing village. Uh, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. So Jesus wants to get away with the, the apostles and do some you know, processing probably and have a little rest and relaxation. But the crowds, who are always needy, don't let him. They find him out. But Jesus doesn't get ornery. He welcomed them and spoke to them about, guess what? The kingdom of God as he always did, and healed those who needed healing. You say it, you do it, you do it, you say it. Late in the afternoon, the twelve apostles came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they, go, they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. Note that the apostles aren't asking Jesus whether they should do this. They're telling Jesus to do this. Bad idea. And they're assuming that since they only have a little bit of food and the crowd is so huge, there's nothing that they can do. So it's, you know, kind of every man for himself. Just go find your own food. But Jesus replied, I love this, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. 
unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. Now, it says 5,000 men because this is ancient Jewish culture. Ancient Jewish culture was patriarchal and sexist, so they only counted the men. If you add the women and the children, you could easily have a crowd twice that size. So, you know, somewhere upwards of 10,000. How are you going to feed a crowd of 10,000? The response of the apostles is sarcastic. Uh, They know there's no way to do this. Bethesda probably doesn't even have 10,000 people in the whole village. They certainly don't have enough food to sell to uh, feed 10,000. And even if they did, the apostles wouldn't have enough money to buy the food to feed 10,000. And even if they did, how are you going to haul all that food to feed the Uh, 10,000? This is our our sarcastic response, kind of like saying, oh, we'll just go down to the local grocery store and buy food for uh, this 10,000, get some Fritos and corn chips and whatnot. They're being sarcastic. But Jesus ignores their sarcasm and he says to his disciples, look, dudes, just obey me. Sit, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. All right, so break them down into smaller units. Now, last week we noted how this whole chapter is full of symbolism which shows, it's symbolism from the Old Testament, which shows that this new kingdom thing that Jesus is birthing here is really a new Israel. It has continuity with the old Israel, and yet it's significantly different from the old Israel. This is a new Israel. And so, for example, there's 12 apostles, and they correspond to the 12 uh, 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 sons of Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus sent them out to conquer a new promised land, and they were to trust God for all their provisions, just like the the Hebrews in in the wilderness had to trust God for all all their provisions. All of this symbolism is a different way, are different ways of showing that the kingdom is a new Israel. Well, here Jesus is once again tapping into Old Testament symbolism. There was a time in the Old Testament, Exodus 18, uh, 18, where Moses was overwhelmed by the needs of the Israelites. And so the Lord had him break the Israelites down into smaller units and put people over each of those units. And the smallest of those units was, a, was, was 50. And so Jesus is here treating this whole crowd as Israel. This is the new Israel. And like Moses, he breaks them down into smaller units. But it also shows that Jesus wasn't just interested in feeding 10,000 individuals. He was interested in having them share a meal together. And we'll see here in a moment that sharing is is, is the, the center of this passage. And so he breaks them down into smaller communities where they're going to break bread together. And it illustrates for us once again that the kingdom is about small groups before it's about large gatherings. There's a place for large gatherings such as this. But the primary kingdom unit are small groups of people where you share life together, you break bread together, you share resources together. Moving on. The the disciples obeyed Jesus and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. That, by the way, is where we get the practice of praying before meals. Uh, I have discovered that some, some Christians think that that's just sort of a religious relic of the Middle Ages and so they don't do it anymore because they've been freed from that. But actually, it's a, it, it, we're just following the example of Jesus. Whenever he ate, he gave thanks for what he was about to eat. And it's a way of cultivating a mindset of gratitude rather than taking life for granted. So I encourage kingdom people to always give thanks before you eat. There are, after, after all, a number of people on the planet who don't have what you're about to eat. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. 
They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. That's how much crumbs was left over. Let's pray. Lord, by your authority, not mine, we ask that you build the kingdom. By your wisdom, not mine or anyone else's, we ask that you build the kingdom. Holy Spirit, will you infuse the words that come out of my mouth with a power to do what human words ordinarily can never do, and that is to change people, to transform people, to build the kingdom in our minds and hearts. Lord, we ask you to come against anything in our minds that resists what's about to be said. Tear down strongholds that have been installed by a culture of materialism and self-centeredness and set your people free to discover the joy of abandoned living, the joy of living with outrageous generosity and faith. Let it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Three things I want to bring out of this passage. Three very, very important things that are found in this passage. The first centers on the miracle itself. This was a miracle. They had 12 basketfuls of crumbs left over after they fed probably upwards of 10,000 people with a mere five loaves and two fish. That is a miracle. The miracle, on the one hand, puts on display the divinity of Jesus. That he is not just a human being, he's not just a great prophet, and he's not just an archangel. He's the creator of the universe. And therefore, he's the creator of all food. And here he displays that by creating food. So one central part of this passage is to just highlight the fact that Jesus is the Lord God Almighty become a human being. This miracle, like all of Jesus' miracles, um, had what they call eschatological significance. That is to say, it looked forward to a time when the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. All of Jesus' miracles are way, the, 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 kingdom is here, the kingdom is here breaking into the world, and whenever the kingdom breaks into the world, it puts on display a preview of what the world will look like when the kingdom is fully established, when the world is finally the way that God always wanted the world to be. And so what this passage is showing us is that when God's kingdom fully reigns on the planet Earth, and the, ki- and the Earth is, is, is rescued from the oppressive grip of Satan and now comes under the domain of God's authority, there will be no more world hunger. People will eat and be satisfied. And so now we're seeing a little preview of that, a little snippet of that in this miracle. The disciples had seen a lot of miracles. In fact, the disciples just got back from a trip where they were doing a lot of miracles. They'd seen healings. And they'd seen a lot of people delivered from demons. But they never saw anything like this. This was a miracle of a different order. They never saw Jesus actually multiply food before. So this wasn't on their radar screen. It didn't occur to them that you could actually feed a crowd this size with a mere five loaves and two fish because you got a miracle-working God uh, that, that, that they're hanging out with. Um, so in their view, the kingdom was about, they compartmentalized it. The kingdom was about proclaiming the kingdom, healing people, and delivering people from demonic oppression. But when it came to actually feeding people, well, now it's time to close up shop and send the people home because we're not in that business, you see. The kingdom doesn't apply here. Jesus had a very different mindset about things. Uh, and so he tells them to share their five loaves and two fish and do something with it. On this, in this area, the disciples defaulted to their own natural, fleshy, common-sense, practical reasoning. And they looked at their own limited resources. When it came to feeding people, they, they looked down and said, how much food do we've got? Well, we've got five loaves and two fish. Oh, no can do. Sorry, go home. 
Jesus had a very different approach to things. It forces this question, and it's an important question for us. How often do we not give God a chance to show up because we default to our natural, commonsensical, practical, fallen, fleshy reasoning? How much do we limit what God does because we don't even put the possibility on the table? How often do we just naturally default to our ordinary ways of thinking and don't even give the miracle-working God a chance to show up? So you get sick, for example. And you pop a pill, and if that doesn't work, you go to the doctor. And I'm not against that. that that's, that's a normal, commonsensical thing to do. The trouble is that we often do that and don't even think about spending a moment to ask God to heal you, giving God a chance to do something that, that maybe the doctors can't do and to put God's glory on display. Or we've got trouble with our finances, so we try to, out of our own limited resources, uh, work with these finances, and out of our own limited reasoning, try to work with these finances, and, and, and maybe we go to an accountant, and that's all fine, good, wonderful, do that. But the trouble is, is that sometimes it doesn't even occur to us to put our finances before God and say, God, you're a miracle-working God. Can you show up here and, 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 and do things that I and an accountant can't do? And lead and direct in ways maybe that I didn't anticipate. Or you're struggling with family issues and, and, and you use your own limited resources with your own limited reasoning to try to resolve your family conflicts. And maybe you go to a therapist. And that's fine and good. And thank God for good family therapists. Do that. But the trouble is, is that we often don't even invite God into the problem. Uh, we, we stick to our own limited resources that can do so little rather than looking to God's unlimited resources and inviting God to do what only God can do, which is change people's hearts, which is the most important thing to happen when you're having family conflicts. Or you need a job, and so you look in the, in the newspaper in the job section, and that's good, do that. But sometimes it doesn't even occur to us to put our, our, our employment issues before God and say, God, open up doors and lead and direct me into the job that you know it w- would be right for me. Or even in ministry opportunities, maybe, maybe you feel like you're called to a particular ministry, but you look down and you've only got five loaves and two fish and you can't really do much with that, and so we just don't do it. And it doesn't occur to us to, to go beyond the question of what can we do and ask the question, what can God do? Because it's not just a cliche to say that we serve a miracle-working God. And we don't take advantage of that if we are stuck in our own natural ways of thinking. Do what is in your natural power to do, but don't become a naturalist where you compartmentalize God and say, God is for this church area of my life, or God is for this particular prayer area of my life, but when it comes to my job, or when it comes to my family, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my physical body, well, then I go to the doctor, or then I go to the therapist, or then I go to accountant. Do all of that, but saturate it with prayer and saturate it with faith and invite God into it. See, the kingdom isn't about one part of your life. It's about all of your life. And so you need to let God reign as king in all areas of your life. Over your physical issues, over your relationship issues, over your financial issues, over your spiritual issues, over every issue that is there. Invite God to come in and, 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 and do what only God can do. Because the reality is, is that God is still in the miracle working business. Somebody say amen. amen. That's not just some cliche. That's a biblical truth. Miracles still do happen. Even, even miracles of this magnitude. You may say, well, I've never seen loaves and fish multiplied. Oh, yeah? Check this out. Uh, some of you may have heard this. Uh, there's a documentary about it. I saw this a number of years ago. 
Uh, there's a Catholic priest named Father Rick Thomas who took a uh, small parish in El Paso, Texas. It was a charismatic Catholic parish uh, right on the border of Mexico. This is in their early 70s now. And um, uh, they were doing a Bible study one time. They had a little group of 20 people doing a Bible study. They were studying, guess what, the book of Luke. And they got to Luke 14, which we'll be getting to in about the year 2011. And in Luke 14, there's this incredible passage where Jesus says, when you throw a banquet, don't just invite your friends who can repay you by inviting you to their banquets. Rather, you go out and invite people who never get invited to banquets. I want you to go out and invite people who can't possibly repay you back. You go out and invite the poor. You go invite the outcast. Uh, invite those who are judged by the religion. Uh, go out and invite the sick and those with infirmities and the maimed. Go out and invite the lepers. You go out on the highways and byways and you, inv you invite to this banquet people who never get invited to a banquet. That's a kingdom banquet. And after this Bible study, they got a prophetic word. And the word was this. You are to do this, El Paso Church. And you're to do it on Christmas, which was about three weeks away, as I recall. You're to do it on Christmas. And you're to do it right across the border in Juarez, Mexico, where there's a giant dump, a garbage dump. And there's a lot of people who live in that dump. They live off of the scrappings from the dump, and they, they, they sort uh, uh, cans and stuff for recycling and make a couple dollars a week. You're to hold a feast right in the middle of that dump. This uh, church did this. Now, when they did this on Christmas morning, two miracles happened. They went into this dump, and they found that there was 350 people or so who lived there. But they were divided into, in, in, into two factions that warred against one another. They, had, they, they fought against one another. The first miracle is that when they held this feast, the two factions came together, and that began a process of beautiful reconciliation, bringing these two factions uh, and, and making them one. The second miracle was this. They had estimated, the church had estimated that there was around 100 to 125 people in this dump, but there's 350 or more. They show up, and they see the crowd, and they think, we're in trouble. They don't know what to do, except, guess what, to pray. So they prayed over the meal and said, Lord, somehow empower us to feed all of these folks. In this documentary, I, there was person after person after person after person, both those who served the meal and those who received the meal, who gave testimonies like this. As I was cutting the ham, I would I'd cut a piece and give it to a person, put it on their plate, and then every time I looked down, the ham just would not shrink. And we had baskets of bread on the, on the sides of each table. And as people would take bread, you know, they kept on taking the bread, but the, 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 the baskets never got empty. And they ended up feeding th the 350 people, and they had enough food left over to feed three orphanages. Don't tell me that those kind of miracles don't happen today. Amen. The point is this. The point is this. It's good and wise to do all that's within your natural power to do. You've got to do your due diligence. But never barricade God from any situation in your life. Saturate every situation with faith and with prayer to give God space and the chance to show up and do what only God can do. My second point comes from this uh, part of the passage where it says, Jesus said to them, and I love this, you give them something to eat. I want you to do it. The apostles were thinking in their natural minds, thinking that uh, they only have five loaves and two fish, so there's not much they could do. So it's every person for themselves. Send them away. It's just common sense. How are you going to feed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish? I'm sure some of them thought something like this. 
if we try to feed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish, uh, everyone's going to go home, going to stay hungry. You can announce to the crowd, hey, good news, we're going to feed you. Bad news, you all get a crumb. That's not going to help anybody out. And so I imagine some of them thought something along these lines. Better to have us filled than to have nobody filled. <laughs> We've got the five loaves and the two fish. We can maybe, you know, three or four of us can get a meal off of this. Uh, and since there's nothing we can do anyways about this crowd, let's just eat the fish. It's our fish after all. Uh, better us to get fed than no one getting fed. I call this, or I, I would like to call this, the what can I do mindset. It's the practical mindset of the natural mind. Uh, whenever we face a problem or situation that's much bigger than our uh, limited resources, our five loaves and two fish, we can easily think to ourselves, well, since I can't even make a dent in that problem, I might as well just eat my loaves and fish. Uh, I might as well just look out for number one. I might as well just feed me and my family. It's an attitude which I don't think people think out loud consciously very much, but I think it's an attitude that permeates American Christianity. I mean, given how massive the problem of world hunger is, what real difference can you or I make? I, it's a massive problem. And, and so given the enormity of the problem of world hunger, uh, you know, I, I can't do anything about that. What can I do? So I'm just going to eat my meal. I'm just going to have my own little banquet. And given how massive the problem of poverty and homelessness is in America and even more so outside the world, what can I really do about that? Can't even make a dent in that problem, so I might as well just enjoy my house, my mansion or two. Uh, and given how massive the AIDS crisis is, millions of people have got it, what real difference can my little 20 bucks make uh, to an AIDS organization? I might as well just go to another movie. The enormity of the world's problems and of the social problems, uh, of, of the, the social fabric that we're a part of, it overwhelms us. And so we loop into our practical thinking, thinking, which is also a very convenient kind of thinking because now we can just enjoy our five loaves and two fish without any sort of pain of conscience. The what can I do mindset leads us to assume that big problems can only be tackled by big organizations. So it's the responsibility of big organizations to tackle these big problems. What difference can I possibly make? It's the government's job, we might think, to feed the hungry. It's the government's job to house the homeless. It's the government's job to take care of social issues like racism. It's, it's the job of world leaders to find a way of bringing peace on this world. It's the job of the government and world leaders to help those who are sick, who can't afford an insurance. I mean, I've only got five loaves and two fish. What can I do about those kind of big problems? But the government and the world leaders and the nations, they got a lot of loaves and they got a lot of fish and they got a lot of money and they got a lot of power so it's their responsibility to take care of these things and then what can happen is that people who really still care about these big issues as we all should they begin to think that the way to address them is by spending all their time trying to tell government and world leaders how to be responsible for these big issues now listen it's fine it's good it's necessary to influence government whatever influence you have to influence government to be as humanitarian as possible that's a good thing but, of course, there's no agreement on how government should be responsible for these big issues. I mean, government has got a lot of loaves and a lot of fish, but it's not unlimited loaves and unlimited fish. They have to deal with a finite amount of loaves and fish, just as you do, so they've got to make tough decisions about who gets wet, what, and when they get it. What kind of priorities should we have? And what's the best program to, to distribute these, these loaves and fish? Uh, what's the best way to address these various social issues? A lot of disagreement about that, about that which is why politics is always divisive. 
And so you got a, one group of people that say, if you, really, if you really care about the poor, well, then you'll give tax breaks to the rich because they'll create jobs that will help people get out of poverty. But the other people say, oh, you don't really care about the poor. We care about the poor because you should really tax the rich and give the money uh, to the poor and create better safety nets for them. And the fight goes on and on and on. Now, look, at it's really good to influence government to be as humanitarian as possible as you see fit. But just never equate the as you see fit with the kingdom of God. Because the truth, folks, is this. Jesus never commissioned us to trust government to take care of the big issues. Jesus just commissioned us to take care of the big issues. Do you see the difference there? It's not the job of government. Thank God if they can do that. Make a little bit of good in the world. But see, hunger is supposed to be our issue, kingdom people. Homelessness is to be our issue, kingdom people. AIDS is our issue. Racism is our issue. Injustice is our issue. We're to take a responsibility for this. Jesus looks at us and says, you got five loaves and two fish. You do something about it. And trust me to use your little five loaves and two fish to do something more powerful, certainly more God-glorifying than anything that the government could do. And the hope of the world, folks, is not found in us finally discovering the right form of government or the right policy or the right politician or the right world leaders to address these issues. That's not the hope of the world. The hope of the planet is in kingdom people obeying Jesus Christ with their five loaves and two fish and trusting God to use that to spread his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The question we are to live in it's not, first and foremost, what should government do about these big issues? Have your opinions and influence accordingly. But that's not the question we as kingdom people live in. The question that we kingdom people live in, it's a much more difficult question, way more dif difficult. It's the question, what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? How can God use us? to impact these big issues. And what Jesus is saying to us in this passage is this. If you've got five loaves and two fish, don't just think of feeding yourself. Ask the question, God, who would you have me share this with? The essence of the kingdom is about sharing. You may only have $100 to your name, and some folks here that are listening don't even have that. You got 100 bucks in the bank. Don't just think it's all about you and your family, even though you could use it all. But ask God the question, who should I share this with? If I, you only got two shirts. Well, there are some people who don't have any. Ask God, are you supposed to share one of those shirts with somebody who doesn't have any shirts? You got 168 hours in the week. Ask God the question, how am, how am I supposed to share this finite resource that I have? Because the essence of the kingdom, this is, this is the core, is about imitating Jesus in sharing. Taking however much or however, you, uh, uh, however little you have, and now investing it in other people. And God uses that to do stuff that you and I and our ordinary limited resources could never do. Which leads to the third point I want to make out of this passage. The passage says that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The food just kept on multiplying. So when they picked up the crumbs, they had 12 baskets afterwards. You will find... When you obey God and share the little that you have, he multiplies it, amen, to meet the need that you are addressing and to meet the needs in your own life. Now, let, let me say this. It's not, it can't possibly be coincidental that they happen to have 12 basketfuls of crumbs left over. The, the number 12 means something. We've seen that everything in this passage is tapping into Old Testament symbolism. And here's what, what it means. 
the 12 baskets correspond to the 12 apostles. And what it's showing is that now each apostle will have another basket full of food to share with somebody else. It goes on and on and on. And what Jesus is teaching us here is this, that just as the 12 apostles are foundational to this new Israel, so also this principle of sharing and multiplication is foundational to the new Israel. It's part of our DNA. It's the very essence of what we are to be about. We are to be a people who, in following Jesus, share what we have. And trust that the more we, have, that the more we share, the more we're going to have to share. This is God's economic program. It's what the kingdom of God lives on. And if you're willing to step out in faith and start practicing it, you will find it works. It's not magic. There'll be times where it's kind of lean, where you may have to worry a little bit, but it works. God comes through. Jesus says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God at all times, and just trust that God's going to give you all you need. Everything else you need is going to be added unto you. As we seek first the kingdom, which the essence of which is sharing, as we seek first imitating Jesus, as we f- seek first to be like Jesus to all people at all times and obey God and sharing our five loaves and two fish, he's going to take care of you. And he's going to take care of the ministry needs that he calls you to. It's the essence of the kingdom. I uh, discovered this more profoundly than I'd ever known it before. Um, about five years ago, I guess it was. Uh, God called me to do something that was just pretty insane. Um, it certainly was inconvenient. Uh, he told me I was supposed to leave Bethel College. I had been teaching there for 16 years, and, and he said, time, the time is done. Now, I didn't want to hear this. This was the most inconvenient thing I could possibly hear. I had two daughters who just started Bethel College. They give a very generous tuition break if you're an employee of Bethel College. You know, I, I, I didn't want to hear this. I had, we had just started the, the uh, Growing in the Spirit campaign, and my wife and I felt led to uh, make a pledge that was quite a bit beyond our means, but in faith we stepped out. And so, so uh, you know, the, the, the idea of leaving Bethel uh, was pretty inconvenient, which is probably why it took God about a year to get through to me. I didn't want to hear it. I just blocked it out. And God had to make me more and more and more miserable to the point where he finally got my attention. And I was like, okay, God, you win. He, he twists your arm to the point where it's like, okay, give, give, surrender. I'm more stubborn than most, I suppose. Right around the same time, just made this decision, which is going to cut my income in more than half in one moment while tripling my expenses perhaps in the next moment. Uh, Right at the time I made this decision, I came across a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful family that had fled Nigeria over to the States for very legitimate reasons. It's a long and sad story, but they came over here. And for six months, they'd been living in a homeless shelter. Um, And they were here at the church. I one time drove them back to the homeless shelter after, after the service and spent an afternoon just kind of talking with them, getting to know them, finding out a little bit about their past, grieving over some of the things that had happened, and praying with them about you know, how God might meet this need in their life. They were in a desperate, desperate situation, a mother and three, three children. And as I left that homeless shelter, I heard God more clearly than I think I've ever heard God before. What the Lord said was, Greg, you are going to be the answer to that prayer. You're to take responsibility for them. And this is the part I really loved. You've got 24 hours to do it. <laughs> it, it was that specific. And it was, there, was a, there was almost a sense of austerity to it. You've got 24 hours starting now. Um, this was the last night they were supposed to spend in a homeless shelter. Now, I didn't know what I was going to do about this. I didn't know how, how we were going to make this happen. 
Um, a lot of times, in fact, probably most of the time, God calls you to step out in faith before you see the miracle. Even the disciples here in this passage, they had to break the, the crowd down into groups of 50 before the multiplication ever started. And if the miracle doesn't happen, they're going to look kind of stupid, aren't they? But God calls us to step out in faith sometime and trust him on this stuff. So I, I didn't know how this was going to work. I just started making phone calls, you know, to find a place for this, the, the, this, this family to uh, find some residence. And almost to the minute, 24 hours later, a place opened up. Uh, a perfect place for them opened up. And they were able to get in. They still didn't know quite how the funding was going to come through. But they found a place. And then, uh, then the multiplication started. And to make a long story short, I'll just tell you this. Uh, uh, finances came out of the woodwork. Um, it was just a beautiful thing. People stepping up to the plate. People putting, you know, God putting things on people's hearts and, uh, to, to fund this whole project. And I'll tell you this. Uh, my daughters got their education. We didn't lose the house. We had food on the table every day. In fact, while there were some times that were a little bit lean, uh, we hardly skipped a beat. Uh, God came through. More importantly, this family has just, uh, uh, it's just been such a blessing. They've now got two of their kids. Uh, she's now got two, two of the kids are in college doing exceptionally well. One's not, still in high school doing exceptionally well. They're all gainfully employed. They're all close to being self-supporting. And this family has just blessed my socks off like I can't believe in about the socks off of about 150 other people here at Wilden Hills Church. It's a God story. It's the kingdom in action. That's how it works. You step out and God honors it. And by the way, we've got our 12 loaves uh, of crumbs left over because now, now we're, 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 the ministry goes on and we're doing this with other people. That's how it works. You step out, God shows up, and the kingdom advances. The reality is this, folks. You and I can't and don't need to solve the government's issue about illegal immigration. We might not even agree about what governments should do about illegal immigration. And you and I probably can't meet all the needs of illegal immigrants, and we can't meet the needs of all the homeless and of all the poor. But if you will take your two fish and five loaves, and I'll take my two fish and five loaves, and we'll together trust Jesus Christ, we can now start to minister to this family, and this family, and that family, and that family, and the more you share, the more you have to share, because that's God's economic program, and the kingdom advances. Amen? Here, here's, here's how Paul sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. That's, that, that's, that, that's old Israel way of thinking. You know, the law that is going to pull your teeth to, to give. No, it's supposed to come out of a fullness of heart as you learn the joy of giving, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Say abundantly. abundantly. God's able to bless you abundantly. Why? So that in all things, and at all times, having all that you need, maybe not all that you want, you, know, you may not get the Mercedes, but having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. The more you share, the more you have to share, the more ministries start coming to you. Uh, your two loaves and, and, and your two, two fish and five loaves may not be much, but two, two loaves and no, two, fi two fish and five loaves plus Jesus is a whole lot. There's a tremendous amount you can do with that. And the more you share, the more you have to share. I could give you over 100 testimonies here at Wilderness Church of people who have discovered this. 
you ask Dave and Joy Feldner. They, they, they took their five loaves and two fish and they started this ministry, Here's Life Inner City. And now they're having a tremendous impact to inner city kids. Uh, Sandra Unger with her ministry, the, the Lift. She took her five loaves and two fish. They moved into that neighborhood. Now others are starting to move in the neighborhood with them and they're having a tremendous impact on that neighborhood. Or you talk to the Ericsons with their Providence ministry in Haiti or, or Nick and Madeline Avion with their co-fed ministry or in Haiti. And I could give many other examples. They're just people who took their five loaves and two fish and combined it with faith in Jesus Christ and started acting on it and God multiplies it and expands it and the impact gets greater and greater and that's how the kingdom advances. But it means that you've got to step out in faith, be willing to share what you have and trust that the more you share, the more you're going to have to share. This isn't a get-rich principle. It's not a name-it-and-claim-it uh, thing. It's a, it's a ministry to others sorts of things. None of the people I just listed are rich or anything close to it. But they have their needs met, and now they're meeting the needs of others. It only happens when we're committed to seeking God's will about how we're to share what we have and trusting that God will then bless us and empower us to then bless others. That, folks, is the essence of the kingdom. I want to challenge us to rebuke as demonic the what-can-I-do mindset. I want to challenge us to rebuke as demonic the it's-somebody-else's-problem mindset. I want to challenge us to rebuke as demonic the I-only-have-enough-for-myself mindset. You may only have five loaves and two fish. However little you have, I encourage you to think about sharing that, to start getting in on God's economic program and start seeing how, how, how it works. Close your eyes for a moment. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to seal this message. I don't know if you only have five loaves and two fish. Maybe you got five mansions and two yachts. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The kingdom grows as kingdom people bleed with what we have, however much or however little. God can do more with a person who's willing to share their five loaves and two fish than he can a person who gives the leftovers of their five mansions and two yachts. It's about the sacrifice. So the question I want to ask here this morning is this. How would God have you share your five loaves and two fish? Holy Spirit, I want you to bring to our mind and our heart the area that we're to share with. Now, it may be that some here are right now exactly in the zone God wants you. You've hit that balance of what you're to be sharing and what you're to be keeping. That's wonderful. Rest in that. Be satisfied. For others of us, let the Holy Spirit communicate to you how you're to share your five loaves and two fish. What would God have you to do? Talk to us, Holy Spirit, and help us listen. And maybe the face of a neighbor next door comes to mind, and you're supposed to share more of your time with them. Maybe a ministry possibility comes to mind. Maybe it's just a concept and it's no clearer than that right now. That's fine. Sometimes God communicates radical stuff to us. I could tell you stories of people who have felt led to sell significant real estate that they owned in order to give it to the poor. That's the kingdom. Let the Holy Spirit communicate to you. And then as you get some sense about how you're to share your five loaves and two fish, how you're to step out in faith, how you're to trust God, 
however clear or vague that might be right now, will you just commit to doing it? You may not know how you're going to do it. That's fine. Just commit to doing it, one step at a time. Holy Spirit, communicate to us. Holy Spirit, win our hearts over to surrender to whatever you're saying to us right now. Help us, Lord, to be people who find the joy of sharing the five loaves and two fish. There's happiness in getting, but there's joy only in giving. Help us to find the joy of having this outrageous, generous heart. Free us to be a people who live with a sense of abandon, the opposite of clinginess, and, and who just share our resources freely, trusting that as we seek first the kingdom of God, everything we need will be added unto us. Holy Spirit, drive that home. And before I give us the final sending out prayer, I want you to know that the altar will be open if you'd like to come forward for any prayer. I encourage you to do that. If you're here this morning and you're, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to come forward and talk to these folks. They'd love to pray with you and start your kingdom walk. But now, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray in Jesus' name that we take this message with us, that we swim upstream in a culture that just conditions us to live in fear and self-centeredness, hoarding our five loaves and two fish. Empower us, Lord, to resist that stronghold and to manifest your character, your love, and your generosity as you lead us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said one last time, Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom. Amen. Spend some time visiting with people out in the gathering area. Be friendly.